section thirteen of psychology of the unconscious by carl jung this librivox recording is in the public domain section thirteen chapter three the transformation of the libido a possible source of primitive human discoveries in the following pages i will endeavour to picture a concrete example of the transition of the libido i once treated a patient who suffered from a depressive catatonic condition the case was one of only a slight introversion psychosis therefore the existence of many hysterical features was not surprising in the beginning of the analytic treatment while telling of a very painful occurrence she fell into a hysterical dreamy state in which she showed all signs of sexual excitement for obvious reasons she lost the knowledge of my presence during this condition the excitement led to a masturbative act frictio femorum this act was accompanied by a peculiar gesture she made a very violent rotary motion with the forefinger of the left hand on the left temple as if she were boring a hole there afterwards there was complete amnesia for what had happened and there was nothing to be learned about the queer gesture with her hand although this act can easily be likened to a boring into the mouth nose or ear now transferred to the temple it belongs in the territory of infantile ludus sexualis to the preliminary exercise preparatory to sexual activity without really understanding it this gesture nevertheless seemed very important to me many weeks later i had an opportunity to speak to the patient's mother and from her i learned that her daughter had been a very exceptional child when only two years old she would sit with her back to an open cupboard door for hours and rhythmically beat her head against the door to the distraction of the household a little later instead of playing as other children she began to bore a hole with her finger in the plaster of the wall of the house she did this with little turning and scraping movements and kept herself busy at this occupation for hours she was a complete puzzle to her parents from her fourth year she practised onanism it is evident that in this early infantile activity the preliminary stage of the later trouble may be found the especially remarkable features in this case are first that the child did not carry out the action on its own body and secondly the assiduity with which it carried on the action one is tempted to bring these two facts into a causal relationship and to say because the child does not accomplish this action on her own body perhaps that is the reason of the assiduity for by boring into the wall she never arrives at the same satisfaction as if she executed the activity onanistically on her own body the very evident onanistic boring of the patient can be traced back to a very early stage of childhood which is prior to the period of local onanism that time is still psychologically very obscure 
because individual reproductions and memories are lacking to a great extent the same as among animals the race characteristics manner of life predominate during the entire life of the animal whereas among men the individual character asserts itself over the race type granting the correctness of this remark we are struck with the apparently wholly incomprehensible individual activity of this child at this early age we learn from her later life history that her development which is as is always the case intimately interwoven with parallel external events has led to that mental disturbance which is especially well known on account of its individuality and the originality of its productions that is dementia precox the peculiarity of this disturbance as we have pointed out above depends upon the predominance of the fantastic form of thought of the infantile in general from this type of thinking proceed all those numerous contacts with mythological products and that which we consider as original and holy individual creations are very often creations which are comparable with nothing but those of antiquity i believe that this comparison can be applied to all formations of this remarkable illness and perhaps also to this special symptom of boring we have already seen that the onanistic boring of the patient dated from a very early stage of childhood that is to say it was reproduced from that period of the past the sick woman fell back for the first time into the early onanism only after she had been married many years and following the death of her child with whom she had identified herself through an overindulgent love when the child died the still healthy mother was overcome by early infantile symptoms in the form of scarcely concealed fits of masturbation which were associated with this very act of boring as already observed the primary boring appeared at a time which preceded the infantile onanism localized in the genitals this fact is of significance in so far as this boring differs thereby from a similar later practice which appeared after the genital onanism the later bad habits represent as a rule a substitution for repressed genital masturbation or for an attempt in this direction as such these habits finger-sucking biting the nails picking at things boring into the ears and nose etc may persist far into adult life as regular symptoms of a repressed amount of libido as has already been shown above the libido in youthful individuals at first manifests itself in the nutritional zone when food is taken in the act of suckling with rhythmic movements and with every sign of satisfaction with the growth of the individual and the development of his organs the libido creates for itself new avenues to supply its need of activity and satisfaction the primary model of rhythmic activity producing pleasure and satisfaction must now be transferred to the zone of other functions with sexuality as its final goal a considerable part of the hunger libido is transferred into the sexual libido this transition does not take place suddenly at the time of puberty as is generally supposed but very gradually in the course of the greater part of childhood the libido can free itself only with difficulty and very slowly from that which is peculiar to the function of nutrition in order to enter into the peculiarity of the sexual function 
two periods are to be distinguished in this state of transition so far as i can judge the epoch of suckling and the epoch of the displaced rhythmic activity suckling still belongs to the function of nutrition but passes beyond it however in that it is no longer the function of nutrition but rhythmic activity with pleasure and satisfaction as a goal without the taking of nourishment here the hand enters as an auxiliary organ in the period of the displaced rhythmic activity the hand appears still more clearly as an auxiliary organ the gaining of pleasure leaves the mouth sown and turns to other regions the possibilities are now many as a rule other openings of the body become the objects of the libido interest then the skin and special portions of that the activity expressed in these parts which can appear as rubbing boring picking and so on follows a certain rhythm and serves to produce pleasure after longer or shorter tearings of the libido at these stations it passes onward until it reaches the sexual zone and there for the first time can be occasion for the beginning of onanistic attempts in its migration the libido takes more than a little of the function of nutrition with it into the sexual zone which readily accounts for the numerous and innate correlations between the functions of nutrition and sexuality if after the occupation of the sexual zone an obstacle arises against the present form of application of the libido then there occurs according to the well-known laws a regression to the nearest station lying behind to the two above-mentioned periods it is now of special importance that the epoch of the displaced rhythmic activity coincides in a general way with the time of the development of the mind and of speech i might designate the period from birth until the occupation of the sexual zone as the pre-sexual stage of development this generally occurs between the third and fifth year and is comparable to the chrysalis stage in butterflies it is distinguished by the irregular commingling of the elements of nutrition and of sexual functions certain regressions follow directly back to the pre-sexual stage and judging from my experience this seems to be the rule in the regression of dementia precox i will give two brief examples one case concerns a young girl who developed a catatonic state during her engagement when she saw me for the first time she came up suddenly embraced me and said papa give me something to eat the other case concerns a young maid-servant who complained that people pursued her with electricity and that this caused a queer feeling in her genitals as if it ate and drank down there these regressive phenomena show that even from the distance of the modern mind those early stages of the libido can be regressively reached one may assume therefore that in the earliest states of human development this road was much more easily travelled than it is to-day it becomes then a matter of great interest to learn whether traces of this have been preserved in history we owe our knowledge of the ethnologic fantasy of boring to the valuable work of abraham who also refers us to the writings of adalbert kuhn through this investigation we learn that prometheus the fire-bringer may be a brother of the hindu pramantha that is to say of the masculine fire-rubbing piece of wood 
the hindu firebringer is called matarikvan and the activity of the fire preparation is always designated in the hieratic text by the verb manthami which means shaking rubbing bringing forth by rubbing kun has put this verb in connection with the greek pantheus which means to learn and has explained this conceptual relationship the tertium comparitianus might lie in the rhythm the movement to and fro in the mind according to kun the root month or moth must be traced from the greek i learn that which is learned knowledge the act of learning to take thought beforehand to prometheus forethought who is the greek fire robber through an unauthorized sanskrit word prometheus which comes by way of pramantha and which possesses the double meaning of rubber and robber the transition to prometheus was effected with that however the prefix pra caused special difficulties so that the whole derivation was doubted by a series of authors and was held in part as erroneous on the other hand it was pointed out that as the thuric zeus bore the especially interesting cognomen promontheus thus prometheus might not be an original indo-germanic stem-word that was related to the sanskrit pramantha but might represent only a cognomen this interpretation is supported by a gloss of hesychius prometheus the herald of the titans another gloss of hesychius explains other greek terms meaning of the flaming one analogous to similar greek words the relation of prometheus to pramantha could scarcely be so direct as kuhn conjectures the question of an indirect relation is not decided with that above all prometheus is of great significance as a surname for atheos since the flaming one is the forethinker pramati equals precaution is also an attribute of agni although pramati is of another derivation prometheus however belongs to the line of phlegeans which was placed by kuhn in uncontested relationship to the indian priest family of burgu the burgu are like matarivakvan the one swelling in the mother also fire-bringers kuhn quotes a passage according to which burgu also arises from the flame like agni in the flame burgu originated burgu roasted but did not burn this view leads to a root related to burgu that is to say to the sanskrit bray equal to light latin fulgio and greek theo sanskrit burgus equal splendor latin fulgur burgu appears therefore as the shining one Ignes means a certain species of eagle on account of its burnished gold color the connection with phaleus which signifies to burn is clear the phlegeans are also the fire eagles prometheus also belongs to the phlegeans the path from pramantha to prometheus passes not through the word but through the idea and therefore we should adopt this same meaning for prometheus as that which pramantha attains from the hindu fire symbolism the pramantha as the tool of manthana the fire sacrifice is considered purely sexual in the hindu the pramantha as phallus or man the board wood underneath as vulva or woman the resulting fire is the child the divine son agni the two pieces of wood are called in the cult 
Purvavas and Urvachi, and were thought of personified as man and woman. The fire was born from the genitals of the woman. An especially interesting representation of fire production as a religious ceremony, Manthana, is given by Weber. A certain sacrificial fire was lit by the rubbing together of two sticks. One piece of wood is taken up with the words, Thou art the birthplace of the fire, and two blades of grass are placed upon it. Ye are the two testicles to the Adhara Rani, the underlying wood. Thou art Urvachi, then the Uttara Rani, that which is placed on top is anointed with butter. Thou art power. This is then placed on the Adhara Rani. Thou art peru ravas and both are rubbed three times i rub thee with the gayatrimetrum i rub thee with the trishtabhmetrum i rub thee with the yagatimetrum the sexual symbolism of this fire production is unmistakable we see here also the rhythm the meter in its original place as sexual rhythm rising above the mating call into music a song of the rig veda conveys the same interpretation and symbolism here is the gear for function here tinder made ready for the spark bring thou the matron we will rub agni in ancient fashion forth in the two fire sticks yata vedas lieth even as the well-formed germ in pregnant women agni who day by day must be exalted by men who watch and worship with oblations lay this with care on that which lies extended straight hath she borne the steer when made prolific with his blood pillar radiant in a splendor in our skilled task is born the son of illa book three twenty nine one through three side by side with the unequivocal coitus symbolism we see that the pramantha is also agni the created son the phallus is the son or the son is the phallus therefore agni in the vedic mythology has the threefold character with this we are once more connected with the above-mentioned kabiric father-son cult in the modern german language we have preserved echoes of the primitive symbols a boy is designated as bangel short thick piece of wood in hessian as stiff or bolzen arrow wooden peg or stump the artemisia abrotanum which is called in german stabwurz stick root is called in english boy's love the vulgar designation of the penis as boy was remarked even by grimm and others the ceremonial production of fire was retained in europe as late as the nineteenth century as a superstitious custom kuhn mentions such a case even in the year eighteen twenty eight which occurred in germany the solemn magic ceremony was called the nod fire the fire of need and the charm was chiefly used against cattle epidemics kuhn cite from the chronicle of lanner cost of the year twelve sixty eight an especially noteworthy case of the nod fire the ceremonies of which plainly reveal the fundamental phallic meaning in latin instead of preserving the divine faith in its purity the reader will call to mind the fact that in this year when the plague usually called lung sickness attacked the herds of cattle in laodonia certain bestial men monks in dress but not in spirit taught the ignorant people of their country to make fire by rubbing wood together and to set up a statue of priapus and by that method to succor the cattle after a cistercian lay brother had done this near fentone in front of the entrance of the court he sprinkled the animals with holy water 
and with the preserved testicles of a dog etc these examples which allow us to recognize a clear sexual symbolism in the generation of fire prove therefore since they originate from different times and different peoples the existence of a universal tendency to credit to fire production not only a magical but also a sexual significance this ceremonial or magic repetition of this very ancient long outlived observance shows how insistently the human mind clings to the old forms and how deeply rooted is this very ancient reminiscence of fire boring one might almost be inclined to see in the sexual symbolism of fire production a relatively late addition to the priestly lore this may indeed be true for the ceremonial elaboration of the fire mysteries but whether originally the generation of fire was in general a sexual action that is to say a coitus play is still a question that similar things occur among very primitive people we learn from the australian tribe of the washandis who in the spring perform the following magic ceremonies of fertilization they dig a hole in the ground so formed and surrounded with bushes as to counterfeit a woman's genitals they dance the night long around this hole in connection with this they hold spears in front of themselves in a manner to recall the penis in erection they dance around the hole and thrust their spears into the ditch while they cry to it puli niri puli niri wataka non fasa non fasa said kunis such obscene dances appear among other primitive races as well in this spring incantation are contained the elements of the coitus play this play is nothing but a coitus game that is to say originally this play was simply a coitus in the form of sacramental mating which for a long time was a mysterious element among certain cults and reappeared in sects in the ceremonies of zinzendorf's followers echoes of the coitus sacrament may be recognized also in other sects one can easily think that just as the above-mentioned australian bushmen performed the coitus play in this manner the same performance could be enacted in another manner and indeed in the form of fire production instead of through two selected human beings the coitus was represented by two substitutes by perururavis and urvachi by phallus and vulva by borer and opening just as the primitive thought behind other customs is really the sacramental coition so here the primal tendency is really the act itself for the act of fertilization is the climax the true festival of life and well worthy to become the nucleus of a religious mystery if we are justified in concluding that the symbolism of the hole in the earth used by the watts shandis for the fertilization of the earth takes the place of the coitus then the generation of fire could be considered in the same way as a substitute for coitus and indeed it might be further concluded as a consequence of this reason that the invention of fire-making is also due to the need of supplying a symbol for the sexual act let us return for a moment to the infantile symptom of boring let us imagine a strong adult man carrying on the boring with two pieces of wood with the same perseverance and the energy corresponding to that of this child he may very easily create fire by this play but of greatest significance in this work is the rhythm this hypothesis seems to me psychologically possible although it should not be said with this that only in this way could the discovery of fire occur 
it could result just as well by the striking together of flints it is scarcely possible that fire was created in only one way all i want to establish here is merely the psychologic process the symbolic indications of which point to the possibility that in such a way was fire invented or prepared the existence of the primitive coitus play or rite seems to me sufficiently proven the only thing that is obscure is the energy and emphasis of the ritual play it is well known that those primitive rites were often of very bloody seriousness and were performed with an extraordinary display of energy which appears as a great contrast to the well-known indolence of primitive humanity therefore the ritual activity entirely loses the character of play and wins that of purposeful effort if certain negro races can dance the whole night long to three tones in the most monotonous manner then according to our idea there is in this an absolute lack of the character of play pastime it approaches nearer to exercise there seems to exist a sort of compulsion to transfer the libido into such ritual activity if the basis of the ritual activity is the sexual act we may assume that it is really the underlying thought and object of the exercise under these circumstances the question arises why the primitive man endeavours to represent the sexual act symbolically and with effort or if this wording appears to be too hypothetical why does he exert energy to such a degree only to accomplish practically useless things which apparently do not especially amuse him it may be assumed that the sexual act is more desirable to primitive man than such absurd and moreover fatiguing exercises it is hardly possible but that a certain compulsion conducts the energy away from the original object and real purpose inducing the production of surrogates the existence of a phallic or orgiastic cult does not indicate ao ipso a particularly lascivious life any more than the ascetic symbolism of christianity means an especially moral life one honours that which one does not possess or that which one is not this compulsion to speak in the nomenclature formulated above removes a certain amount of libido from the real sexual activity and creates a symbolic and practically valid substitute for what is lost this psychology is confirmed by the above-mentioned watts chandi ceremony during the entire ceremony none of the men may look at a woman this detail again informs us from whence the libido is to be diverted but this gives rise to the pressing question whence comes this compulsion we have already suggested above that the primitive sexuality encounters a resistance which leads to a side-tracking of the libido on to substitution actions analogy symbolism etc it is unthinkable that it is a question of any outer opposition whatsoever or of a real obstacle since it occurs to no savage to catch his elusive quarry with ritual charms but it is a question of an internal resistance will opposes will libido opposes libido since a psychologic resistance as an energic phenomenon corresponds to a certain amount of libido the psychologic compulsion for the transformation of the libido is based on an original division of the will i will return to this primal splitting of the libido in another place here let us concern ourselves only with the problem of the transition of the libido the transition takes place as has been repeatedly suggested by means of shifting to an analogy the libido is taken away from its proper place and transferred to another substratum 
the resistance against sexuality aims therefore at preventing the sexual act it also seeks to crowd the libido away from the sexual function we see for example in hysteria how the specific repression blocks the real path of transference therefore the libido is obliged to take another path and that an earlier one namely the incestuous road which ultimately leads to the parents let us speak however of the incest prohibition which hindered the very first sexual transference then the situation changes in so far that no earlier way of transference is left except that of the pre-sexual stage of development where the libido was still partly in the function of nutrition by a regression to the pre-sexual material the libido becomes quasi desexualized but as the incest prohibition signifies only a temporary and conditional restriction of the sexuality thus only that part of the libido which is best designated as the incestuous component is now pushed back to the pre-sexual stage the repression therefore concerns only that part of the sexual libido which wishes to fix itself permanently upon the parents the sexual libido is only withdrawn from the incestuous component repressed upon the pre-sexual stage and there if the operation is successful desexualized by which this amount of libido is prepared for an asexual application however it is to be assumed that this operation is accomplished only with difficulty because the incestuous libido so to speak must be artificially separated from the sexual libido with which for ages through the whole animal kingdom it was indistinguishably united the regression of the incestuous component must therefore take place not only with great difficulty but also carry with it into the pre-sexual stage a considerable sexual character the consequence of this is that the resulting phenomena although stamped with the character of a sexual act are nevertheless not really sexual acts de facto they are derived from the pre-sexual stage and are maintained by the repressed sexual libido therefore possess a double significance thus the fire-boring is a coitus and to be sure an incestuous one but as desexualized one which has lost its immediate sexual worth and is therefore indirectly useful to the propagation of the species the pre-sexual stage is characterized by countless possibilities of application because the libido has not yet formed definite localizations it therefore appears intelligible that an amount of libido which reaches this stage through regression is confronted with manifold possibilities of application above all it is met with the possibility of a purely onanistic activity but as the matter in question in the regressive component of libido is sexual libido the ultimate object of which is propagation therefore it goes to the external object parents it will also introvert with this destination as its essential character the result therefore is that the purely onanistic activity turns out to be insufficient and another object must be sought for which takes the place of the incest object the nurturing mother earth represents the ideal example of such an object the psychology of the pre-sexual stage contributes the nutrition component the sexual libido the coitus idea from this the ancient symbols of agriculture arise in the work of agriculture hunger and incest intermingle the ancient cults of mother earth and all the superstitions founded thereon saw in the cultivation of earth the fertilization of the mother the aim of the action is desexualized however for it is the fruit of the field and the nourishment contained therein the regression resulting from the incest prohibition leads in this case 
to the new valuation of the mother this time however not as a sexual object but as a nourisher the discovery of fire seems to be due to a very similar regression to the pre-sexual stage more particularly to the nearest stage of the displaced rhythmic manifestation the libido introverted from the incest prohibition with the more detailed designation of the motor components of coitus when it reaches the pre-sexual stage meets the related infantile boring to which it now gives in accordance with its realistic destination an actual material therefore the material is fittingly called materia as the object is the mother as above as i sought to show above the action of the infantile boring requires only the strength and perseverance of an adult man and suitable material in order to generate fire if this is so it may be expected that analogous to our foregoing case of onanistic boring the generation of fire originally occurred as such an act of quasi-onanistic activity objectively expressed the demonstration of this can never be actually furnished but it is thinkable that somewhere traces of this original onanistic preliminary exercise of fire production have been preserved i have succeeded in finding a passage in a very old monument of hindu literature which contains this transition of the sexual libido through the onanistic phase in the preparation of fire this passage is found in brihadaranayaka upanishad in truth he atman was as large as a woman and a man when they embrace each other this his own self he divided into two parts out of which husband and wife were formed with her he copulated from this humanity sprang she however pondered how may he unite with me after he has created me from himself now i shall hide then she became a cow he however became a bull and mated with her from that sprang the horned cattle then she became a mare he however became a stallion she became a she-ass he an ass and mated with her from these sprang the whole hoofed animals she became a goat he became a buck she became a new he became a ram and mated with her thus were created goats and sheep thus it happened that all that mates even down to the ants he created then he perceived truly i myself am creation for i have created the whole world thereupon he rubbed his hands till before the mouth so that he brought forth fire from his mouth as from the mother womb and from his hands we meet here a peculiar myth of creation which requires a psychologic interpretation in the beginning the libido was undifferentiated and bisexual this was followed by differentiation into a male and a female component from then on man knows what he is now follows a gap in the coherence of the thought where belongs that very resistance which we have postulated above for the explanation of the urge for sublimation next follows the onanistic act of rubbing or boring here finger sucking transferred from the sexual zone from which proceeds the production of fire the libido here leaves its characteristic manifestation as sexual function and regresses to the pre-sexual stage where in conformity with the above explanation it occupies one of the preliminary stages of sexuality thereby producing in the view expressed in the upanishad the first human art and from there as suggested by kuhn's idea of the root month perhaps the higher intellectual activity in general this course of development is not strange to the psychiatrist for it is a well-known psychopathological fact that onanism and excessive activity of fantasy are very closely related 
the sexualizing autonomizing of the mind through autoerotism is so familiar a fact that examples of that are superfluous the course of the libido as we may conclude from these studies originally proceeded in a similar manner as in the child only in a reversed sequence the sexual act was pushed out of its proper zone and was transferred into the analogous mouth zone the mouth receiving the significance of the female genitals the hand and the fingers respectively receiving the phallic meaning in this manner the regressively reoccupied activity of the pre-sexual stage is invested with the sexual significance which indeed it already possessed in part before but in a wholly different sense certain functions of the pre-sexual stage are found to be permanently suitable and therefore are retained later on as sexual functions thus for example the mouth zone is retained as of erotic importance meaning that its valuation is permanently fixed concerning the mouth we know that it also has a sexual meaning among animals inasmuch as for example stallions bite mares in the sexual act also cats cocks etc a second significance of the mouth is as an instrument of speech it serves essentially in the production of the mating call which mostly represents the developed tones of the animal kingdom as to the hand we know that it has the important significance of the contractation organ for example among frogs the frequent erotic use of the hand among monkeys is well known if there exists a resistance against the real sexuality then the accumulated libido is most likely to cause a hyperfunction of those collaterals which are most adapted to compensate for the resistance that is to say the nearest functions which serve for the introduction of the act on one side the function of the hand on the other that of the mouth the sexual act however against which the opposition is directed is replaced by a similar act of the pre-sexual stage the classic case being either finger-sucking or boring just as among apes the foot can on occasions take the place of the hand so the child is often uncertain in the choice of the object to suck and puts the big toe in the mouth instead of the finger this last movement belongs to a hindu rite only the big toe was not put in the mouth but held against the eye through the sexual significance of the hand and mouth these organs which in the pre-sexual stage serve to obtain pleasure are invested with procreating power which is identical with the above-mentioned destination which aims at the external object because it concerns the sexual or creating libido when through the actual preparation of fire the sexual character of the libido employed in that is fulfilled then the mouth zone remains without adequate expression only the hand has now reached its real purely human goal in its first art the mouth has as we saw a further important function which has just as much sexual relation to the object as the hand that is to say the production of the mating call in opening up the autoerotic ring hand mouth where the phallic hand became the fire producing tool the libido which was directed to the mouth zone was obliged to seek another path of functioning which naturally was found in the already existing love call the excess of libido entering here must have had the usual results namely the stimulation of the newly possessed function hence an elaboration of the mating call we know that from the primitive sounds human speech has developed corresponding to the psychological situation it might be assumed that language owes its real origin to this moment when the impulse repressed into the pre-sexual stage turns to the external in order to find an equivalent object there the real thought as a conscious activity is 
as we saw in the first part of this book a thinking with positive determination towards the external world that is to say a speech thinking this sort of thinking seems to have originated at that moment it is very remarkable that this view which was won by the path of reasoning is again supported by old tradition and other mythological fragments End of section 13